My name is Chris Stone. I'm the creator of Blood and Bone China, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment here at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks and Julie, and today we are speaking to the cast and crew of the supernatural thriller series Malice. Writer-director Philip Cook joins us with the cast members Mark Hyde, who plays Nate Turner, and Rebecca Johnson, who plays Abby Turner, to talk about this action thriller which follows teens Alice and Abby who must solve mysteries and survive dangers emanating from their late grandmother's home. We learn how this series was created, some behind-the-scenes stories about filming, and much more. Now, before we get started with the interview, we just wanted to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality On Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our featured interview for today with the cast and crew of Malice. Being a teenager sucks. There's a shocking revelation, huh? But right now that's the least of my problems. How did it come to this? Entertainment, and this is Marks and Julie, and today we're speaking with the cast and crew of Malice, the web series. Now, it's a creepy series about a family fighting for their lives against supernatural forces after they move into their late grandmother's home. Now, we have with us today creator Phil Cook, actors Rebecca Johnson, who plays Abby, and Mark Hyde, who plays Dad. Well, for those who haven't seen the show, Phil, can you tell us in your own words what the series is about? Um, well, uh, on the surface, it, it, it looks like a poltergeist type of show, yeah, and, and the setup is almost in this sort of classic cliche about a family moves into a spooky house and weird things start to happen. And we kind of set it up that way to sort of get people on a comfort level and going, oh, it's one of those. Mm -hmm. But once you get past the first episode, you start to realize it isn't one of those, and the show slowly starts to become something very, very different. And the, the whole premise of the thing was sort of, kind of structured almost like Lost, the, the TV show, where at the end there's always a hook and hopefully a hook uh, of like, what the heck was all that about? And uh, hopefully compels the audience to click the next button and watch the next episode. Great. Yeah, I know. I think the hooks worked well. Mm -hmm. Julie's yeah. like, let's watch the next episode. Let's watch the next episode. <laughs> we, we sat down and watched them all in a row. So, I, you know, it, it actually worked out really well. Have you seen, you've seen them all all the way through the end? I think. Is there 10 episodes? Is that right? No, there are 12. Believe me, you'll know when you see the end. <laughs> oh, I guess we haven't oh, seen Oh, we didn't see it. Oh, well, at least have something with you. You haven't. Believe me, you will know when you see the end. It's going to be, oh, my gosh. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, um, for Rebecca and Mark, can you tell us a little, about, a little bit about each one of your characters, please? Ladies first. Um, oh, okay. Well, thank you. Um, well, I play Abby Turner, um, the eldest sibling of the family, which is kind of funny because um, – Brittany's actually older than I am, um, but I play the <laughs> elder taller. sibling, and um, yeah, yeah, that's that's all that matters really in the TV land, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of the uh, itchy, sarcastic, um, sort of off-putting, I guess you could say, older sister that could really give 
two craps about what happens to anybody but herself. Um, <laughs> but in, in the most, in the most appealing way possible, hopefully. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just kind of hoping, I guess my character is just kind of hoping that if she can shove it all under the carpet or something, it'll go away, but it doesn't really work out. <laughs> as far as, uh, Mine, I played Nate Turner, the father of the family, and uh, uh, the character, in a nutshell, is a returned, uh, returning combat veteran from uh, Afghanistan and the Middle East, and he's coming back to the family and readjusting, and there's a lot of um, backstory that you kind of pick up on, but there's never really touched upon, but um, obviously he's dealt with some issues in the past that are starting to come up again now that they're they moved to this new house and um he seems somewhat familiar with it and is is ready to deal with it you know without giving too much away he's he's aware that uh there are some strange things in the past with his with his wife the mom played by Leanna, and that um he tries to prepare his daughters to uh to be ready for what's going to come what he knows is going to come i guess in a nutshell, too, it's a little bit, not that I've had this happening, but it's a bit of a biopic. Phil's always picking my, my brain and backstory and experiences for material. So uh, he likes to uh, he likes to use a little bit of what I've actually been through and incorporate that into the character. So it's a little bit of me in there as well. Yeah, so that's interesting. We were wondering, Mark, if you actually do have a military background yourself. Uh, I, I do. I'm, I'm a former Navy SEAL. And I served over in the Middle East, uh, did a few tours over there, um, over in the first Gulf War back in the 90s. And uh, even before then, I deployed over there. So, uh, you know, I, uh, the character actually is a SEAL, that uh, Nate Turner. So uh, he's taking a little bit of my bio for that. Yeah, that's interesting because we did see the, um, I guess, the PSA where you were. Uh, you know, Fourth the, of July. Yeah, 4th of yeah, July. The Navy SEAL Fourth, Foundation. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to mention a well, little bit about that? Well, uh, funny thing was, uh, we um, we shot that in a very short amount of time, Rebecca and I did. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Brittany and I did. Uh, the same day, we also shot another short. There was a whirlwind uh, production weekend for us. But yeah, that, that really meant a lot to me. Uh, the, the SEAL teams, they were, and they are, such a... Uh, a transitional uh, experience for me, and it made me who and what I am. And um, you know, once a seal, I think always a seal. But I, I firmly am in support uh, of the Navy SEAL Foundation. They are there for uh, returning vets, uh, family members, uh, survivors from you know active duty and and veterans, and they're there to provide uh, financial, moral support, encouragement, uh, all types of different support. It's it's a great. It's one of the best charities out there. Yeah, that's so, um, great. Was anything I could do to support that. Now, obviously, then, you were pretty comfortable with the uh, rather extensive arsenal in this family's home. Um, <laughs> I'm not breaking in that now. Yeah. Now, Rebecca, um, how long did because you looked pretty comfortable handling that gun as well, Rebecca. So how long did it, how did that feel to you? How long did it take you to get accustomed to it? Um, well, uh, I, I actually shot a BB gun at camp one time, like a million years ago. Actually, no. <laughs> you know, so I'm pro. No, um, actually, 
Mark is a really good teacher when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, and then I just took whatever critique that Phil had for me to be like, um, that doesn't look realistic. You probably wouldn't, you know, you, your shoulder would be jerking back and that sort of thing. So it was kind of at first it was like, oh, yeah, the gun is shooting. I don't have to do anything. But then I was like, no, your body actually has a reaction to that sort of, yeah. you know, intense pressure. So. So what yeah. kinds of guns were they that you used for the actual filming? I mean, did you find some airsoft ones that looked like? No, they were, it's funny, they're, they're replica weapons, believe it or not, that a friend of mine bought back in high school, and we're talking a long time ago. And I don't even think you can buy them anymore because they're, they're incredibly realistic. They're actually heavier than real weapons, but they're made out of metal. And they all have so just metal. for the record, there were never any real weapons on the set. No, there are there are no there were never any real weapons on the set. That's absolutely good. Thanks for clarifying. We figured, but you're right. Some people might not know that. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. And uh, and and it was shot in in Falls Church, Virginia, which is in the shadow of Washington D.C. So huh. the idea of uh, setting off <laughs> this arsenal uh, in the middle of this residential neighborhood would definitely have been a big no-no. <laughs> uh, but Mark was really helpful because. It's interesting. Uh, it's really kind of funny because uh, when, when the girls, particularly Brittany, when he was trying to teach her how to use the gun, she was clueless, beyond clueless. She's such a girly girl. And when Mark would pick up a weapon and hold this weapon, all of a sudden you sort of back up a couple of steps because all of a sudden there's just something about the posture. There's something about the serious intent mm -hmm. and, and the body language that is incredibly threatening when somebody knows what they're doing. <laughs> uh, -huh. uh and you know, he did his and he did a pretty good job of, of, of getting Rebecca to, 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 to you know, to mimic that and, and Brittany as well. And Brittany's so tiny. Uh <laughs> it's funny she, the gun almost weighs as much as she does. Um <laughs> it it is interesting because uh I mean he, he sells it. So he was sort of my my on stage uh technical advisor in that regard. Well Rebecca, Mark, how did you first get involved in the production? Was there a casting call? Did you already know Phil? Oh, okay. Well, um, I actually found this on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting story. Um, because I, I, I got the, um, like, I, I, you know, sent an email. Like, yeah, I'm interested. I want to, you know, like, I got nothing else going on with my summer. Like, let's be in a film. Actually, was, I was more stoked than that. Um but, like, I got the email, like, oh, yeah, come in for the audition. And I went um, with my mom, you know, like, kind of safety. And I got, like, I was looking at the email. I was like, yeah, come to the garage. And, you know, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go ahead and do the audition. I was like, the garage. And I thought it was going to be, like, a corporate place. And then, like, I'm driving through the the weird end of, of fall church because of course I have one of those GPSs and then I'm like, um, and I got there and of course it's like the most fantastic above garage, um, air conditioned in the middle of summer, thank God, you know, uh, office. And then it was very, very non-threatening. And I was so excited about the whole idea. And, um, I was just, I was super crazy stoked about it. And so that was, that was my luck with Craigslist. So <laughs> never, never put that on the, well, the ad posted, I mean, oh, I'm trying to be as diligent as possible, but it's basically a uh, local filmmaker looking for young girls to be in a horror web series. Please come to the garage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was actually, it was, it was a little more correct than that. And I said, bring your mom, bring your boyfriend, you know, get your comfort level. But to put the garage mm -hmm. in context, it's actually the building. If you've seen the show, there's this other building behind the main house. And mm -hmm. that's, that's where all the interviews took place. Oh, okay.
Yeah. Better than saying, come to the basement. Yeah. That's why we keep Ghost Boy chained to the uh, hot water heater. Oh, man. Yeah, I think if I was a teenage girl and asked my parents to go do that audition, I think they'd still be laughing to this day. Uh, <laughs> like, no, you're not going to some stranger's garage. <laughs> okay, Mark? Well, I um, I have actually had known Phil for a while. I met him through a mutual friend, uh, a guy named Walter Suarez, who is a former, uh, he's a retired Navy. He has a um, science, uh, I, I guess you'd call it, prop and stunt uh, effects company where he provides some of the prop weapons. And back then when we made this first movie I worked on with, though, we did a lot of physical effects. Instead of just the CG, we were at props and uh, models and uh, so so Walter brought me up to help him set some charges and demo. And, and actually, I just met Phil through Walter. It's just kind of been coming up to, to meet him to go over what we were going to do on this film. And we got to talking, and he, he kind of sized me up. And, and I just left the Navy, and I was I was taking classes. I was training as an actor, but uh, I was I was a novice. But uh, he, he um, asked me if I wanted to work in front of the camera as well. And so uh, I took a dual role as a uh, Jeff the Jumper and a Shadow Man in his film Despiser. But from there, you know, we just we realized we had a lot in common. We we um we really hit it off and we've been best friends ever since. And, and I have to say that that production was more valuable and I learned more on that than any film or acting school could ever have gone to because uh film is he's a uh, he's an incredible talent in front of and behind the camera himself. Uh, I mean but he, he builds sets. He's, he's an artist. He does uh, matte paintings. I mean, just besides all of the CG that a lot of people have been blown away from that he does. He, he's a model maker. Uh, some of the models he's made are incredible. He did scale models of uh, these creatures in some of his earlier films that he still has in his office. That they're, they're just incredibly detailed. Um, he's got an eye for the lighting, the sound. You know, I also, on that show, I, I doubled as a sound recordist. Um, I did some stunts. I did uh, advising on that as well. And I, I worked with his crew and I, I learned all the behind the scenes. Uh, I learned, you know, the grip, just regular general grip work and, and lighting and a little bit of camera operation, obviously sound mixing. And it was just an incredibly great learning experience. And I made a wonderful friend from it. And um, over the years, like I said, he's kind of fixed my brain for information material. And, you know, part of this character he developed with me in mind. So uh, I was I was certainly, of course, uh, eager and ready to jump on the chance to work with him again in this project. Great. Now, Phil, this is a pretty trippy show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when did you come up with the concept, and why did you decide to turn into a web series versus a more traditional feature film route? Well, basically, uh, my first feature film I made when I was 23, and that was, you know, back in the 80s, and Back in the 80s, you could make an independent film and have a snowball's chance of getting it in a movie theater. I mean, think of Evil Dead and various other films like that. And, and everything I made was a genre picture. But when the 90s came along, it was really hard to get a movie in the movie theater. So uh, I made another film called Invader, and that was on Showtime, HBO, and Cinemax. And so back in the 90s, you could get a film on it, with no names, by the way, with no stars, mm. uh, without a huge budget. You could get a show on cable. Mm. Um, and, and you could get a show on the Sci-Fi Channel, which I did. Then uh, the 2000s came along, and uh, I realized I couldn't get a film in the theater anymore. It was impossible. It was just locked up and too expensive. Uh, it wasn't likely I, I could get a film on cable, but there was still 35,000 blockbuster stores and 25,000 Hollywood video stores. So my third film, Despiser, 
we sold DVDs to 55,000 video stores all across America. So that was still a business. You could still make money. Well, here it is in the enlightened age of today. You can't get a movie in the movie theater. You can't get a movie without any names or some sort of you know, serious connection with a mainstream thing on cable uh, or, or TV. And all the video stores are gone. Mm-hmm. What's left? What's left is the web. And then, well, how does this work? You know, so I started thinking about this two years ago. It was actually in April two years ago that I started writing the script. And I, I did some research on web series, and there really weren't a lot of them out there. But, you know, you've seen the landscape of web series. I mean, most of them, quite frankly, are pretty awful. And, and I, I came across The Guild, Felicia Day's The Guild. And I thought, wow, this is funny. You know, this is clever. The writing is tight. Uh, this is actually amusing. And, and uh, I was sort of inspired by that. But like anything on YouTube or whatever, you can never knock off something somebody else has done. Everything succeeds for its own unique reasons. So I'm thinking, well, you know, what are my skill sets? What can I do? Is, is, there, is there a business here? Is, is, you know, can we find an audience? Can we make this work? So like everything I've ever done, I go into it really naive. It's like, yeah, we'll make a movie. We'll get in a theater. Well, we did. We'll make a movie. We'll get on cable. Well, we did. We'll make a movie. We'll get in a video story. We did. So I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm, I'm stupid. Let's make a web series and see if we can get it out there. <laughs> so we did. And, and, uh, and, but, you know, having looked at a lot of them, I realized that uh, web series, they think that you, you can work half as hard and it, and it could be half as good as what's going on on TV, if you're lucky. And, and I have a completely different philosophy. My feeling is because generally, for the most part, these things are seen on a computer. You have to work twice as hard as TV. Your writing, your shooting, your storytelling has to be twice as tight, twice as succinct, and twice as effective. There can be no fat. Everything is in there for a reason. You can't, just because you got a kitchen doesn't mean I need to see your character speak for eight and a half minutes in the kitchen when everything was said in the first 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was my whole point. No fat, zero fat. Every frame that can come out, take it out. You know, just keep it moving, keep it interesting, keep it compelling, keep the audience wanting more. And when it's over, they go, holy crap, that was six minutes. I could have, you know, I'm willing to watch this again. There's so much going on in the show. And that speaks to the the difference in the attention span, by the way, between the computer viewer and the television viewer. Yeah, (laughs) that's absolutely true. On a computer, to me, a computer still is a working tool. And when someone sends me a video link, I'm always a little reluctant to click on it because it's like, well, how long is this going to take, you know? And... And when you're in TV, when you're in front of the TV, uh, you know, you're, you're in for the long haul. You're willing to put up as commercials. You're willing to put up with some, you know, some, some fat. But uh, on, on, on the web, it's like you're one mouse click away from distraction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I tried to create something that was really tight, very succinct, and, and hopefully keep the audience guessing and, and you know, try to – kind of pander to some of the genre expectations and then turn them on their ear. It's like, oh, it's one of those. And then you, then you take that, that trope and you kind of go, oh, wait, no, it's not one of those. So try to keep people guessing. Okay. I don't know if I answered. Yeah. Now, how many uh, seasons and episodes do you have for all of our listeners out there? And when can we expect more? Uh, well, there are two seasons and 12 episodes. And then we created a special episode, which will play after the 12 episodes, which is includes some of the same characters, but in a completely different context. So ultimately, there, there are 12 episodes to tell this story arc about what happened to this family when they moved to this house and what the heck is going on here, and is anybody going to walk out of it <laughs> alive? Uh, so there are 12 pieces, and all of them are currently available on Coldcast TV. 
but all of them will also be available on YouTube YouTube uh, by the middle of March. So, and they'll all be available on Blip TV in the middle of March as well. Um, so you only have you have one more coming out to finish up the. Uh, on YouTube, I think we got three. On Coldcast, they're all up. Um, and on Blip, I think we have three more to go up there as well. And then there's the special, so there's kind of four. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then, you know, getting back to the future, that's a very good question. And you know, we've been doing a lot of soul searching on should there be a future. Um, I think we're very fortunate in that this was a self-financed project, which I imagine the various projects you've been involved with probably are the same. I, I don't really know. Uh, but we're fortunate enough that I think we're probably going to break even on our out-of-pocket expenses. Mm-hmm. But what isn't going to be accounted for, are the, I have no idea how many, you know, I've got a year of my life in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Mark and I and, and various others were talking about, well, you know, this, right now web series aren't really a business. I mean, it's great to find an audience. It's great that, that people want more. But in the end of days, I still got to pay my electrical bill. <laughs> uh, this is not doing it. And um, you, you can't just I, mail I, back like I'm a web series creator. Give me a pass. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, right. Exactly. You know, and this is the thing actually, which is why I actually do love our YouTube audience because our YouTube audience is a very passionate audience, and they they, they seek these things out because they actually like the show and they're vocal, good or bad. They're yapping, they're talking, they're interacting. I mean, they're actually watching. Um, and, you know, it's not a huge, I think we've got like 1,300 subscribers right now on, on the YouTube channel. And that, that was built from absolute zero. I mean, none of us are celebrities. You know, we don't have an endorsement from Stephen King. You know, Neil Gaiman has not written us a review and said, you guys got to watch this. Felicia Day hasn't grandfathered us. So, so everything we've done, you know, is the analogy I've used with Mark. We're, we're like pioneers with one lonely axe hacking our way through a primal American wilderness. <laughs> And we've carved a pretty decent path, but it's a wilderness nonetheless. And, you know, if we had 10,000 YouTube supporters, I think, you know, and if 10,000 of them were willing to support us for $10 a year, you know, then, then you know, at least people are making a little bit of money and, and this thing could, could move forward. 1,300, you know, they're good people, but, you know, it's just, you know, out of that, maybe half of them might give you 10 bucks. <laughs> and it just isn't going to get you very far. And it's hard, you know, trying to make this make sense. And mind you, we're producing a pretty good quality show for a fraction yeah. of what mainstream TV is being made for. And even we're having a hard time making it. So I would love to do a third and fourth season. I already know what the story is. I think it would take this show on a completely another level of depth and, and, uh, and take people to some really surprising directions. I just don't know how that works yet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a lot to be figured out. Well, the two of us would be thrilled if you make more because <laughs> <laughs> oh, we really mm-hmm. like it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Now, here's a question that's been burning in my mind since we first saw it. Whose adorable little bunny rabbit is that in the show? Oh, that's Plot Bunny. That's uh, that's actually our rabbit. The house is my house. Oh, okay. Uh, so the rabbit is our rabbit. And uh, it's funny, my wife, she, she's a 
romance writer. She's been working on romance novels. And I don't know. She's into rabbits. And somehow she came across this idea of plot bunnies. <laughs> and uh, so we, when we finally, it's funny, this rabbit, God wanted us to have this rabbit because it just showed up in our yard one day, literally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My, my youngest daughter, who was kind of the inspiration for Alice, said, I really want a bunny. And she would create these PowerPoint presentations of how desperately I want a bunny. I'm going, no, nah, we're not going to get a bunny. And one literally, and I'm not kidding you, literally showed up in our back. Actually, three of them did. And uh, I think somebody just turned these pets out. Oh, and that's horrible. Two of them we gave to a bunny rescue, and we kept the third one. And so that's Plot Bunny. And to some extent, it kind of became the little totem, mm-hmm. the little icon of the show. I mean, it shows up. There's a stuffy of Plot Bunny and, and the T-shirt and the bunny hat. And the hat, yeah. Well, we we have a rabbit, and she's our second. Oh. We, had a, we had a rabbit before her, and so we love I especially adore rabbits. I was like, oh, they have a rabbit. That is so cool. We had to ask whose rabbit it is. So, well, then, do you know about the website Disapproving Bunnies or Disapproving Rabbits? I have not seen that. Oh, you have to go. No, okay. I absolutely love it because they have rabbits inherently look cranky. <laughs> they can give you, you a look find, like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> you will find the most adorable photos and anecdotal stories about people who are really into their rabbits. And uh-huh. If you really like your rabbits, you're going to get lost in that website. Oh, thank so. you. I'll have to check it out. You know, sometimes ours just kind of looks at us like, I can't believe I have such embarrassing parents. <laughs> well, exactly. And they have such different personalities. I mean, I'm not quite into them as much as my kids are, but they, you know, some of them are aggressive. Some of them just sit there like a lump. <laughs> some of them are very inquisitive and very explorative. This rabbit, by the way, Rebecca and the rabbit, I believe. Oh, Lord. Don't get oh. Oh. Well. oh, he does not like me. It is. It is. Oh Lord. Oh, so you had some fun times. <laughs> yeah. I, I well, I spent I spent several nights, you know, crashing at their place because it was you know easier than like going back and forth from where I lived. Um, and you know, the little side room where the bunny is. You know, I you know I used to have a bunny, and I'm usually pretty good with animals. But, like, I went to go say hi to Plot Bunny, and he charged me. Like, he, he, like, lunged at me. And then, like, the rest of the night, he would make, like, little sounds to be like, hey, I'm here, and I'm watching you. And so I was just, like, sitting on the couch, like, okay, Plot Bunny. You just stay in your cage, and I'll just. That's funny. So bad. And so you mentioned the hats. We also caught on to the hats. Where did you come up with that, and who made those? Uh, well, my wife made them. Um, it, it's funny. It, the, the, to some extent, Alice was inspired by this photograph. It's actually on my Facebook page of my youngest daughter, Roxanne. And Roxanne had this frog hat. And there was this photo of her walking on a beach. And she just had this tough, badass, looking over her shoulder kind of mm-hmm. stare. And I thought, you know, that's a great photo. So I went and I took a, a M16 rifle and I, ca- I photoshopped it in over her shoulder. So all of a sudden you've got this badass kid walking down the beach, shouldering an M16 rifle, looking over her shoulder with this frog hat. And I thought, <laughs> that's a story. And so then I started writing the story. And initially it was going to be a frog hat. And then the further I got into the sort of Alice in Wonderland thing, I thought, uh, you know what, it should be a rabbit. And it slowly became this sort of dark, macabre rabbit uh, motif. And uh, we, we, we spent a couple of days trying to come up with this icon that hopefully could kind of be kind of hip and 
was hopefully with time sort of take on a life of its own, uh, which is on this. You know, I mean, you can find we have we sell these T-shirts. You can get these things on. And then my wife came up with this idea of these rabbit hats, which are all these different colors on, and 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 she made those, and she create. She also made the stuffed animal, which was yes. quite beautiful. That is a gorgeous one. We we thought that was a really nice touch. There's either a shirt or a hat or a stuffed rabbit or a real rabbit. Plot funny. Merchandise. Yeah, and uh, we we call him Battle Bunny. That's the icon. <laughs> and one thing that doesn't come out in the show was the, the uh, evolution of what Battle Bunny is, and uh, it, it's a, this sort of the symbol for wounded veterans that Alice sort of glommed onto. It's something that never comes up in the episode. If we if we develop it further down the line, that that plot point might come out. But um, so anyway, so yeah, that's why he, he turned from a frog to a rabbit, and then the <laughs> rabbit motif. Well, so, you have our I, approval. <laughs> and. You know, sort of Alice is the defender of innocent little things, you know, little bunnies. <laughs> With her machine gun and her badass black bunny hat. So you sell the shirts, do you sell hats too? No. Oh. We, we would love to, but you know, here's the thing with the hats. You know, everybody asks me about that. Because they're custom made, right? It's like I think one of, them was, one of them was a prize though, right? They, they were. We actually we uh, auctioned them off for a Kickstarter campaign, uh-huh. and they they went quick. I mean, people wanted yeah. those hats. There, there were only two of them. But the thing is, you know, for for me to get into a product, I'd have, I have to find a company in China. I'd have to contract ten thousand of them. You know, assuming I can say I get them made for three dollars each. Now I'm into thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> and I'm going to sell twenty of them, and I'm going to have eighteen thousand bunny hats in my garage, and be another. <laughs> Twelve thousand dollars in debt, and you but, know, your, people, but your head will never go cold. That's, <laughs> that's right. So you know, people say, "Oh, yeah." And it's like, and if we made them by hand to justify that, you know, they would probably cost thirty, forty bucks each. Who wants to pay thirty, yeah. forty dollars for for a bunny hat? So I don't know. Yeah, but your your wife would have carpal tunnel by the time she yeah, was she would. <laughs> exactly. Believe me, she it would not happen. I can tell you that for a fact. Pulling teeth to get this stuff on the set on the day we needed it. I mean, everything was coming in like literally, uh, stuff was coming in. You know, it would come out of the sewing machine and go on the set like almost immediately in the beginning. Oh. Once it was made, it was made. But yeah, it was. We were wondering uh, for each of you, what was your favorite episode to work on and why? Hmm. Who wants to take that first? <laughs> <laughs> you go, Rebecca. All right, my favorite episode, I would have to say, oh lord, that's a very involved question. Okay, I'm I'm gonna pick the one where we were outside shooting the guns. Mm-hmm. That was pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. That was great, and that one was all about you too. That that was your best, your most screen time, and you have Abby was. I'm gonna interrupt for one quick second. Her, her role. <laughs> was the most fun to audition because she had all the great lines, all this snappy little banter. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, you go for you go for and that that episode was all about her. Just your, your yeah. snappiness, her cattiness, her just all, all about it. But anyway, go ahead. Well I I guess that explains why it's my favorite. Um <laughs> no, I really um I really enjoyed like how we were all like in one scene together. It was kinda like the family bonding scene, the messed up family bonding scene. Um, it's like, well, our world is ending. Let's go out with a bang, I suppose. But, uh, I don't know. It was just really fun. And, um, just going back and forth, I like dialogue wise. I actually, I, I enjoyed that the most. Like, I mean, I, I love the whole script. It was really well written. Um, but like that 
team, just like the whole emotional connection really got me, you know, and um, I, had, I had a lot of fun, like playing the part of, you know, like, oh, this is where her, you know, Abby's whole facade of I'm tough and I really don't give a shit about anything, you know, kind of crumbles. So I really enjoyed that. And plus, of course, holding the guns and, you know, intending to shoot stuff is awesome. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was really cool. And, um, a little, a little fun fact, actually, the entire time that, uh, Brittany and I were there, like, <laughs> we were, um, like, cause Phil would have us walk up to the mark, you know, and be like, pause there, you know, stay away from dad. He's got a gun. Brittany keeps like talking about like, oh my goodness, Mark looks like he should be in a jean commercial or no, he should be selling a grill or he should be selling like tires. Oh my goodness. And I can <laughs> stop laughing. So every time we came up to the mark, if you notice my face looks a little like I'm trying to hide something, it's the laughter. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my well, favorite. I have to agree. That, that, was, that was a great scene. <laughs> uh, that, that was a pretty involved scene for all of us too, because the film did a lot of coverage on that. And I took mm-hmm. I took a better portion of the day with that. And uh, I guess there were some lighting issues and some sound issues with the neighbor's dog. In fact, that ended yeah. up in, I believe, a short that Phil made just for that, or a little clip from that, mm-hmm. some, some outtakes. That was that mm-hmm. was actually a good scene. I also liked uh, the, the, the same, for the same reason, all of us in the kitchen. Um, I believe it was the night, well, for those that haven't seen it, I don't want to say, but there's a kitchen uh, a kitchen scene where we're standing around discussing the, the events so far and what's going on. And it was just nice. It was you could kind of see more of a connection there, and it, it seemed very sincere and genuine that you know there's a relationship here, and it was just a, a nice moment to kind of interact uh, as as a family, even with all of this weird stuff going on around us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you all had really good family chemistry. Thanks. I think we did. I think we did. Mm-hmm. I have to say too, as far as just fun goes, the there's this one scene where Rebecca and I, I think it was just Rebecca and I in this one scene, and it was kind of a Brittany or Alice uh, fantasy flashback type scene, where um, <laughs> there's uh, it's a night scene and uh, I'm I'm in all this Roman armor and uh, she's my my daughter princess daughter, but uh, she gets dragged away and that, that was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was so fun, but uh, the the end result was it's just incredible based on how we did it and what we did. Mm-hmm. What what Phil did with that was just just amazing, just incredible. The finished the the finished product is, is amazing. So that was a lot of fun doing that that night. Where she, I think was it was it you, Rebecca, and Courtney both had some wires tied around my wrist to yeah yeah <laughs> simulate being being torn apart. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the bungee cords like wrapped around your <laughs> wrist, right. pulling you back. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't think you've guys well, seen that. That's episode 11. So. I know. Okay. We got done with oh. the, like, 10. I was like, there has to be more. It can't just stop right there. But it didn't, like, it had been reloading all of the episodes, one Boom. right after the other. Uh, we saw it on Blip. Oh, yeah. oh, we saw it on Blip. So that's why we didn't see the other two. Yeah. yeah. yeah but I'm glad two, we have something The other two, watch. it definitely dry. I mean, it's just, it's escalation from that point. And, and they're long episodes. When I say lo- longer than most, they're like 10 or 11 minute episodes. Sort of- can, can I say as far as favorite episodes, I have to, and I'm not even in it. In fact, no one's in it but, but Brittany. But I think it was 10, 9 or 10, I'm not sure. But it's a very short episode. 
It's absolutely beautiful. It starts off with this time-elapsed uh, video of the mushroom and the house in the background, and then it goes into mm-hmm. the house, and there's this time-elapsed. It's just art. It's like art in motion, and it's just beautifully done. Uh, the music's incredible. I, as I said earlier, I mean, Phil, Phil's a consummate artist in, in all genres. Like, you know, his music selection's incredible, and I just thought it was really well done. Uh, it's, it's a great showpiece case for Brittany, I thought, because she looks amazing, and just the, 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 the kind of haunting and and knowing Connie looked that she has throughout this like short little two minute episode is just is very compelling. I thought it was probably one of the best episodes of the show. Thank you. Yeah. Now it is sort of a, a serious, but it has its comedic moments, obviously, especially with the dialogue. But now, when you were shooting, were are, are there any sort of funny stories that stick out in your mind that you'd like to share, each of you? Besides the killer bunny rabbit. The killer bunny rabbit. <laughs> little plot bunny. There's this one oh, moment. <laughs> I found, I see, I actually find Mark rather funny, even though when you meet him, he seems like a really dry kind of sense of humor. There's this one scene, which I, you guys probably did see, where he's all alone in the house. He's cleaning these muddy, bloody words off the wall, and the back door creaks into the basement. He goes down in the basement, and up on the, sprayed all over the wall are these words, you are not wanted. And he goes, what the f- Fuck. <laughs> the way he says it, I, I I just could not keep myself from laughing. I'm shooting this thing, and all of a sudden he's blowing the tank. And then, I, and then I hear my makeup artist upstairs. She starts losing it. There's just something funny about this this big guy going down there, and he's getting weirded out by this little ghost. And he just and the statement, it just I, I found it hysterically funny. We we did at least three or four extra takes just because I was ruining them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to shoot them, and uh, it was just cracking me up. So that's one that comes to mind. <laughs> um, how about you, Rebecca and Mark? Uh, I'm trying to think. There's just there's so so many awesome. Oh, okay, yeah, I remember. Um, when the for the first family meal that we have, where like the the, the tuna, whatever that disgusting this was it took us i think it took us half an hour to just get over what it looked like before we could start filming because like we were it was it just had this like it smelled rank and it had this presence like it i mean like if you can from what you saw on like and like online just imagine that multiplied by 10 in your face in person and of course Brittany you know being the ballsy one she is she decides she's going to take a piece and try it and the way it just flopped onto her plate I almost died (laughs) It it was so ridiculous and she tried it oh god that girl (laughs) <laughs> I was. Uh, it was. I lost it. I, I completely lost it there. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> so, you know, one, one funny after one funny afternoon in general was just um, uh, you know, in in the show the character Alice has got well, it's 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 never really fully explained, so everybody can take it for what they want. But she has these either flashbacks or memories or fantasies or whatever, and it's. It's bad as this this Roman soldier. Well, we actually ended up getting a lot of these Roman reenactors over at the house, and uh, we did quite a few really really cool scenes with them. But uh, eventually, towards the end of the day, uh, you know, all these Roman all these guys dressed as, as Roman soldiers were in the back. Uh, we're we're doing some like fight scenes and a lot of yelling and shouting. Well, 
you look out on the sidewalk and the neighbors have started to gather and they're watching all of these guys running around the backyard screaming and shouting and fighting as as, uh, as Romans. It's actually kind of kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> and that too, I suppose you could say that was the only time there were actually real weapons on the set because there were some real spears and swords there. But uh-huh. it was just funny because you look up and all of a sudden, uh, oh, there's all these neighbors standing out on the sidewalk watching us go through the... <laughs> These Roman battle scenes. You don't see that every day. No, you don't. No, no. You should. That would be cool. It'd be fun. <laughs> but those guys, by the way, were incredible. Some of those guys showed up, and they they couldn't have looked any more real than if we'd gone back two thousand years ago and then brought them brought them to the future because they 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 went so much to those scenes, just coming. I mean, they fully immersed in their own gear. And they took the time out to come out there and do this for us, and I'm uh, glad they did because just just showing up and, and being part of that uh, it, it gave so much more you know, gravitas to the scenes. You know, having them back there with us. Yeah, I was going to ask about the the costumes. Yeah. Um, so is that how you got your costume? No. Well, uh, yeah. Phil Phil actually provided most of well all of my. Uh, as far as the, the Roman uh, material goes, he provided all of that. And uh, Helen, his, his wife, she did, that's when she was doing a lot of uh, seamstress work to make it fit. Uh, but those all those guys, they showed up with all their own gear and props, and uh, they worked incredible. <laughs> but the armor actually was something for a film I was going to make like 10 years ago. And I bought all this Roman armor, like 10, eight suits of armor, which sat packed in grease in these crates forever. And so I wrote this scene, finally trying to use some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Mark's outfit, we, we um, you know, we, we had the armor and then we, we made the rest of it. And then the Queen's outfit, we actually made that from scratch. And that was literally one of those things where the actress was being sewn into it the day of the shoot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we, uh, for the most part, the actors, I think, wore a lot of their own clothes uh, for the bulk of it. Except they're for the fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, God bless your wife for everything. Huh? <laughs> yeah, she she's really quite talented. You know, she 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 bitches at me about it, but she really enjoys it. The problem is she has a regular job, you know, mm-hmm. a regular nine to five job. And here we are at film camp at my house one whole summer while we're <laughs> shooting this. She's thing. a patient, understanding woman. She is, and you know, we've got literally everybody's. We've taken over the whole house and turned it into a yeah. movie studio, and Rebecca's with us and Mark staying with us and you know various I mean we didn't have a very big crew but you know it was just basically film camp for like two months in the summer while we were shooting this thing uh, but it was a huge amount of fun I mean it, it was really quite a big ongoing party I would say the entire time it was, uh, these people all become part of my family I mean I, I will say that mm-hmm. absolutely sincerely mm-hmm. and uh, I, I had a blast I mean it was really hard I mean, this was a really hard show, but everybody was so into it and, and just, you know, whatever we can do to make it as good as we possibly can. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that shows. I think it does. But, you know, the long, you know if you're not going to make much money, which nobody did, at least, you know, you try to eat well and you try to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and people will keep coming back if, if those two things are, are happening. You've got to feed them and you've got to have fun because if it's miserable – and you're not making any money, what the heck are you doing it for? <laughs> that is an <laughs> excellent point. That's <laughs> um, one of the nice things, at least, too, about uh, as far as web series goes versus a film or, or a show on TV. 
you get direct feedback either through the YouTube comments or Facebook or, or wherever you're getting them from. But and and good and bad because uh, whether some of the comments can be negative and they may not be appreciated by everybody. But honestly, they're honest comments and some of them have valid points and they can point out numbers we've seen before. And so, but it's just getting the direct feedback right away. It's really nice. So you have people that are not only just passive viewers, but they're actively engaged and they have enough of an interest to get online and write something about it, good or bad. That that shows, you know, a, a true sincere interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have to support that. I, that was really exciting and terrifying about the Kickstarter campaign, <laughs> which was, I mean, we don't know anybody. So, you know, it's not like I have this huge pool of people to tap into. So again, you know, we built those connections one person at a time, but some people got so passionate involved in championing, you know, saving the show. And that was really quite gratifying. I mean, these people I don't even know, you know, so we, they found us, and, you know, and we've created this little community and they actually cared about the show. They wanted to see it through. And I mean, we're not talking a huge number of people, but the fact that you're, you're making connections to people all over the world, you know, Australia, Denmark, uh, is really quite gratifying and, and quite wonderful. And uh, that was something... You know, when I went into it, I, I didn't even anticipate. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but that two-way interaction, I've never experienced in anything that I've ever worked on before, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I love that. That's the awesome mm -hmm. side of websites. It may not be a business, mm -hmm. but, you know, but that is also a double-edged curse because to some extent, I think people love an underdog. Not that we've had this problem, but, it, but I've also seen it turn <laughs> when an underdog becomes successful you know, then, then people go, oh, then they want to you know, knock it down. Well, we have yet to get to that point. <laughs> so right now it's been fairly supportive, I would say. Can I ask roughly what your budget was for the seasons, season one, season two? Yeah, it was, uh, I would say we spent about $1,000 an episode. That's good. Uh, and, and really most of that goes towards uh, equipment and food and costumes. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody did get paid. Uh, it wasn't much, but, uh, you know, the actors were getting paid. Yeah, every actor on the show got paid except Mark. He volunteered. God bless him. Um, he turned down his, his payment. I love you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> But yeah, well, actually, yeah. too, a lot of the, a lot of the, everybody was kind of pulling double duty as well. I mean, Rebecca was, Rebecca was working with Helen making costumes, and I actually tried a little bit of that myself. But uh, yeah, Mark, really Mark ended up just... sewing his enemy's pants. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. I think I think actually Rebecca Rebecca took over and finished mine because uh, yeah. I, I had about uh, you know, five stitches in it. It looked awful. I mean, the, the way the way it kind of broke down, I think about four thousand dollars went to pay for cast and crew. And then the other 6000 went for uh, just, you know, unending expenses. I mean, you, you know, you guys are involved in this. It's really, you know, the rule was spend no money, but obviously, you know, you spend when you have to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and our crew basically, from a production standpoint, the crew was me. Uh, and then I had a, a guy, Max Heaton, Heaton who was, uh, he also plays the deputy. He was my sound recordist. And then I had a young woman, Courtney Westfall, who was my makeup person and she did this amazing makeup which you'll see in the last episode and she she also is responsible for ghost boy and she was sort of my grip and that was it 
That was it. Uh, the three of us pretty much did everything, you know, and, and, you know, everybody would pitch in, though. It's like, you know, when it came time to move some lights, they would help move some lights or, you know, pull stuff down so we could all get lunch or whatever. And that's yeah. That. Food is a great motivator on the set. Yeah. yeah. Gotta yeah. have food. <laughs> um, you know, we're filmmakers, too, so I always like to ask what equipment people use. What kind of camera did you shoot this on? It was the uh, Panasonic HVX 170. Oh. Okay. Which is a remarkable tool. It's not, you know best camera out there, but it was affordable, and if you know what you're doing with it, you can get an amazing picture. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the thing that I liked it over the DSLRs, it's going to be a little tech talk here, is the camera's actually set up for shooting. You know, it's set up to take audio, which a lot of these, you know, the DSLR is a pretty looking camera, but, you know, it's audio in that camera is problematic. And, and this camera also shoots a pretty uncompressed signal, so, you know, you can do blue screen and compositing. And uh, it's pretty. You even had a little, uh, even had a little Steadicam type rig to put it on. That's mm -hmm. right. We had a little, little glide cam, which mm -hmm. uh, a good deal of the film was shot on. That allowed us to do these mm -hmm. just, you know, big sweeping moves. I mean, and you'll see more and more of that as the show progresses. I mean, if you've seen the episode, uh, there's one in particular where the camera f uh, starts on a, a spilled Chianti bottle in the middle of the night. It's after the family's had a fight, and it moves and glides all the way up the steps into Alice's room and finds her. It's almost like this ghost POV. And so we did these sort of big, sweeping dolly moves with this little glide cam tool. Um, yeah, we really enjoyed We that. actually, Marks and I both pointed out that shot while we were watching it. We're like, oh, that's a really good shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are more in the finale. The finale, there are these, you know, some big, sweeping, I mean, just we're just running flat out as fast as we can while poor little Alice is running from something. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll, you'll, you'll see more of that. And there's lots of visual effects, which yes. you do. Uh, what's hey. your background in visual effects, and how did you accomplish some of that? Um, I, I've been in uh, the animation business. I mean, honestly, going way back to high school, I was making visual effects film back in the days when we actually shot on film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that... that 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 tinkering, trying to make a million dollar something for a dollar ninety eight, is sort of like genetically ingrained in me now for so long. Um, but you know, I, I started out old school. I, I did a lot of the early MTV IDs back in back in the eighties. You know, the breathing M's and all those funky little stop motion ads. I worked on a lot of those. I worked on the first uh, animated uh, rock video for the Alan, Alan Parsons project called Don't Answer Me. When I say, well, I mean these weren't my shows. I was among you know multitude. Mm -hmm working on these things back in the 80s when I was a, a young man. Um, and, uh, and and so we did everything back then with miniatures and stop motion and matte paintings and optical printers and Oxbury animation systems. And then all of a sudden Jurassic Park came out, which scared the living crap out of us. It's like, holy crap, this is done with a computer. I mean, we mm -hmm. just, just boggled our minds. We just uh, couldn't even wrap our head around that because we were doing stop motion puppets. Well, we needed a dinosaur. We <laughs> built a stop motion puppet, you know, a la King Kong. And so I, uh, it was kind of freaking me out because I saw the end of my world, which I, I see this now every year, by the way, for different reasons. <laughs> um, and I was in a bookstore and, I, and I, I saw this book, do 3D animation on your PC. And there were two little floppy disks in the back. I thought, really? Cool. So I took it back. This is we're talking in the mid '90s. I took these floppy disks. I loaded up this 3D software program, and I started teaching myself 3D animation. And I did. And I bluffed my way into uh, animation jobs. You know, oh yeah, we do 3D animation, not having a clue as to what I was doing. And uh, <laughs> within a month, we were delivering jobs, and it just kept going from there. And and 
that's that's kind of how we got into it. Um, so it's um, it's all just homeschool self-taught. Well, how long does it take to do some of that in post? Like because um, they were very very well done effects. Like for well, example, there's, there's, um, is, I don't want to give away too much, but like there's something in a gel that comes out. I thought that was pretty uh, pretty cool looking. Uh, how long did that take? Oh, oh, you're talking about the thing in the sink? It was in jail cell. Oh, jail oh, cell. Jail, yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was very complicated. That was yeah. done in Maya. Uh, that was done with the help of a wonderful friend of mine, uh, Corey Collins, whom I've known like Mark going back to our despiser days. That was a lot of research to get that thing to work, and it was it was painful. I'll be quite frank. And believe me, there's a lot more of that in the finale. Not like not that thing, but more things related to it. Okay. Once it was designed, it was you know and functional. Actually, could do what it's supposed to do. It was fairly simple to manipulate it to get it to do other stuff. But it was, I'll be quite frank, and, and, I, and a good friend of mine actually did the bulk of that particular thing. It was absolutely painful and excruciating. <laughs> uh, when, when you get to the end, when you see more of this thing, particularly when you see the finale, I thought I was going to kill this poor guy because um, he was sick anyway. He's, he's got an illness that he's working his way through, and, and we had this deadline. And I'd call him up, and I felt guilty. It's like, I'm going to kill this poor man. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we, we needed to make, we had, this thing had to be right. It, it was painful, I, I will say. I mean, there, there are some shots, particularly when you get to the finality, finale, three seconds took uh, three days to render oh, wow. uh, to get some of these things. But it, but, it's, but it pays off, because I didn't want the show to be, when you get to the end, you go, that's what it's about? That's. <laughs> I just didn't want it to be that, and I and I think when you finally do get to the bottom of the mystery, you go, "That's what it's about." Holy shit, that is freaky. I did not expect that. I'm hoping that's what we achieve. You living in the noise house? Our mom inherited it. Our home now. The creepy one. There's weird stuff here, Alice. Right around this house. Alice. We need you. Ghost Kid. Ghost Kid's for real? Dad was worried, but wasn't he telling us? Mom's gone. You stay here. You know something. You've always known. I haven't seen shit like that in 30 some years. No. Dad's gone. What? Where's my sister? What were you doing there alone with a machine gun? Am I now a terrorist? Badass, Alice. It's not every day one goes down the rabbit hole. Save me. I told you what's been happening with me, the hell I've been going through up here. She's coming. What is it? What does it want? You, Alice. It wants you. I have touched the face of evil. I am Alice. I hate you, Alice. I know. I hate you too. You're crazy. Mark and uh, Rebecca, what was it like acting your characters seeing or interacting with these things that you can't see? Oh, well, I personally didn't really have 
much interaction with stuff I didn't see. Um, even with the whole, um, what I'm, uh, in the later episodes, like covered in like tendrils or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually covered in like this pokey wiry thing. So I, I did, I did have a lot to work with. Um, okay. but I've, I've always been pretty good at using my imagination. So, you know, just like, oh, there's a thing in front of me. Eye contact, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you did well because, like, literally, you know, there are these blue screen shots related to the cemetery, and, you're, you know, your nose is like, you know, you're staring off into this big blue background, and but you, you buy it. You believe it, you know. Yeah. You're looking way yes. beyond. I, honestly, it's, oh, it's, it. it's, not that, it's not that difficult in the context with well-written scripts with good direction, mm-hmm. which we had both of. And... You're in character, and uh, you know any, any yeah. decent one-on-one level actors in character. And if you're in the moment and in character, you're just—it it doesn't really matter. It's, it's it's the same as if you were on stage. There's nothing in front of you, and you're going through the through the motions there. Um, it's just that in such a great context with a uh, great story and the direction and everything else, it all combines to well to give you the end result, which just it looks amazing. And production quality does look amazing on that on the, on the show and. That's uh, one of the things I have to, I'll admit I'm, I'm quite proud of because it does really look amazing. And even though it was made with such a shoestring budget, it was still made with a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and, and love and dedication. And I, I think that comes through. And uh, everybody was really, really into their character and trying to give their best when they were doing it. So it wasn't that difficult. It seems, too, though, that that's uh, maybe the way of the future for you know more and more productions. I, I just finished... Uh, a film uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were doing pickups and a lot of it was very much the same thing, blue screen or, you know, uh, a lot of it is going to be finished in post. So you just, uh, you're acting with air. Mm-hmm. And I guess because of CG and technology, that's probably going to be, there's going to be more and more of that in the future. Oh, so we got blood and chrome. Uh, we talked to those actors. Battlestar Galactica, blood and chrome. That's all green screen or yeah. virtual sets. And then, uh, and I'm going to have the pleasure of working mm-hmm. on Aiden 5 soon, which I don't know if you're familiar with Aiden 5, but it's all green screen. So. Yeah. No. I'm sorry, what is it, Aiden 5? Aiden 5. Aiden 5. A-I-D-E-N. Oh, Aiden 5. You're, are you yeah. working with those guys? I will be working with them on season two, yes. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, nice. Cool. He is. Well, that, was, uh, that actually a special episode that we shot for Malice. That was pretty much all blue screen. And, um, have you guys seen that? was pretty much all uh, Phil. <laughs> We, we did. Uh, have you seen the Malice in Space episode? Oh no, no, no we haven't. I, you know, oh, is I'm... that the Space 1999? Yes, yes. Okay, I saw a little promo. I saw something about it on Facebook. But I haven't and watched it yet. See, this is good because we have something to look forward to watching again. Because yes. I mean, we got yeah. done, I go, no, it can't end there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did this uh, Malice Space 1999 episode. Oh, oh, it's, God, uh, we got to watch that today. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys remember that old TV show, Space 1999, but it basically takes. Uh, uh, do you guys are you familiar with the show? Uh, I've yeah, heard it's been it. a while. But yeah, I haven't. Uh, okay, really. well, yeah, it has been a while, like 30, 40 years. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm familiar with the concept, but I've not actually watched well, it. It's a preposterous concept. We'll just get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, but the pilot, this sort of takes uh, uh, in a different direction. Like, you know, we know that the moon's being blown out of orbit through this freak nuclear accident. Well, this is about the story that you didn't see that was going on. So. <laughs> I should check that. And then you ask yourself, how the hell does that tie into malice? That's a very good question. You know, probably anything can. You know, you could just, everything's because of 
their problems. <laughs> is this more well, of Alice's overactive really... imagination? <laughs> is, is it supposed to tie in? Is it really in continuity in some way? Um, it doesn't tie in with the main narrative, but, you know, my conceit is, at least the setup of the episode is, you know, dad of that era uh, used to watch this show, and Alice, when she was a little girl, used to sit on his knee and watch it with him, and it's sort of this wild fantasy context. That's all. It doesn't plug into the main narrative. It was just an opportunity to tell a story about the same characters, but in a completely different context. It was just an opportunity to play. <laughs> it, it was, and what a ridiculous amount of work that went into that play. It was actually for a a reunion convention, a Space 99 convention uh, that took place last uh, September in L.A., and uh, I got talked into doing it and I put in an obscene amount of time into it, but it was fun. We all had a good time. Mm-hmm. All right, well, before we go, I did want to ask, you know, we have a lot of people who listen who are web series creators or actors or filmmakers, so a lot of times we'll ask people who are who've done these projects, if they can give like a, a big do or don't, you would advise. You know. Helpful pointers. Mm-hmm. Mine would be make sure your script is tight. Don't fall into the trap of, uh, you know, just because you have access to a kitchen or any set that people actually want to hear people talk for four minutes in it. If they're going to talk for four minutes in a set, it's just it's got to be really compelling, dynamic stuff. You know, no filler. Don't have filler. Keep it concise. Keep it moving. You know, the booth at the end manages to get away with that. At least I've watched two episodes. I don't know that I'd be willing to put up with that for 12 mm-hmm. and essentially take a place in a diner. But you've got great actors, you know, so so I'm, uh, that, that's a little bit different dynamic. No, just keep it tight and lean and, and, and quite frankly, tell us something that we haven't seen before. You know, what's the point in watching a weak retread of something we all know where it's going to go? You know, who needs to watch that? Who needs to fill up the airwaves or, or, or take my time to watch something that shouldn't have been made in the first place. I know that sounds kind of mean, yeah. but if you're not going to do anything new or original, why even bother to tell a story? Because no one's going to have the patience for it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, as far as technology is concerned, I don't think it really matters. I think compelling storytelling can be shot on any medium. It can be shot with an iPhone. It can be shot in standard definition. I mean, that, that you know, just as long as it's competent and I can hear, you know, audio tends to be the big weakness on these things. You know, just make sure your dialogue is as clean as possible. Those, those, are, my, those are my do's and don'ts. How about you, Mark and Rebecca? From a, perhaps an acting perspective, what would you give as a tip? Well, um, personally, because uh, it's a web series sort of thing, I was able to get my hands involved in a lot of different aspects of it. In general, I'm like, I'm crazy about film. So this was a great opportunity. And the likelihood, you know, if I, if I do, you know, fulfill the dream and get all the way out to Cali and all that jazz, you know, the likelihood of being able to be that involved without it being my own production is is probably really small. So I I really value the experience that I got, you know, and what I was able to pick up from having such like a, a tight-knit crew. Um, and then also just like, I don't know, be be a team player, I guess, you know, just be, be a decent person and have fun with it. Like, don't like, you know, like take your director seriously, but you know, don't, don't get really, I don't know how to say this. Just be chill, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, like, you know, don't, don't freak out if you make a tiny mistake, you know, but at the same time, don't just, don't treat it, respect it. Mm-hmm. There we go. 
You know, in, in deference to Rebecca, she was so helpful in so many ways. She would help cook. She made pancakes. She helped sew. Mm-hmm. She created the uh, costumes for the wedding scene. Right. So, I mean, that, that's just an example of what's so wonderful on everybody. It's like, yeah, no, what do you mean? Let's figure it out. How are we going to make this happen? And, mm-hmm. and we're all trying to build something here. And uh, we're all trying to grow it. I don't know if we're going to succeed. Um, but I think the shows, and I think you can kind of sense this, and, and I think you're probably getting that vibe with, um, uh, oh gosh, I just threw a blank, uh, Super Knocked Up. Like people are really into it. They're having fun. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're, it's a family, you know, and they're, they're going to get this thing done. They're going to haul this show up the mountain as far and hard as they can in hopes that it'll get some traction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mark? Um, well, I could reiterate what they said. Uh, I, I, I was kind of spoiled with this because Phil's a, a longtime friend of mine, and when he wrote the script, he sent it to me directly, and I got to give him some notes and feedback, and he had me in mind with, for this character. So and I had a lot of involvement, and as an actor, uh, more often than not, you don't. You, you, get, you get cast, you show up, and you should know your lines and not bump into the furniture. And basically, <laughs> that's your involvement. And if you're lucky, you have a little bit more. But you know, with this, it was so nice, and I'd say that people are making web series probably will have that because they're going to be much more involved and probably have, we're wearing several hats. So that level of involvement, um, you know, I, it's, it's priceless because it, it, it gives you a better understanding, not of your character and acting, but the, the entire mm-hmm. production from the look of it, the, the art direction, all that type of stuff. And, and what Rebecca was saying is basically, you know, don't be a tool on set unless you're going to be a good positive tool. But, you know, <laughs> we don't need any dealers and we don't need anybody, you know, uh, causing problems. You need to show up on time, be professional, be helpful, be cheerful, you know, because it's, it's a very, very um, tight ship. You know, and, and it's got to be run that way because the budget's limited, resources are limited. Sometimes if you're on location, you got to get it out, and you're not going to be going back. You may not be invited back. You know, who knows what? But so you know, you got to be aware of that type of stuff. And from what Phil said earlier, I, I have to agree. Uh, keep it tight. That was probably one of the best scripts I've ever read. And if you ever post it online, I would recommend it for anybody. It's it's so visual. I. I could envision almost every scene quite easily from from uh, from his writing. It was probably one of the best scripts I've read, and uh, so uh, I I think we're pioneering something really unique. Um, it's uh, the, it's the next medium. I think eventually everything will be streaming, cable, internet, all of it will be combined. Uh, like you know, I think David with Colcast is onto something here. But the future probably is going to be some type of uh, you know, um, so culmination of all of this stuff coming into just one type of, of streaming uh, technology. But who knows? Uh, it, some new technology might come out tomorrow and change the whole thing. But um, I think we're pioneering something new. But for an industry that claims to worship originality, I just feel like uh, this show offers that in 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 space. I mean, it, it, it does, like uh, Phil said earlier, it, it gives you the that comfortable setting of a poltergeist kind of haunted house story, but it is not that at all. And um, you know, I just think that the, the original aspect of it, if nothing else, should be you know, pretty appealing. But you know, as far as an actor goes, pick your material, just, just don't work to work because you know, might regret 
take, taking some jobs. So uh, pick your material, even if it says no, and turning down work. Well, you know, wait, wait for something better, mm-hmm. and be involved mm-hmm. as much as possible. Now you touched on the future web series. I think we did touch on that a little bit with you already, Phil. But is there anything else you want to add about what your views of a web series are? In what you envision for its future? For this future, or, or in general? I, I, uh, I web series in general. Well, here's here's the one thing about web series. I, I've learned a lot. I, I find aspects of them very frustrating, and I'm sure not alone in this. Where it's difficult. Like I'm not Freddie Wong. I, I can't generate. An, an episode of material every month. I mean, he, he's, he's doing this, excuse me, every week, these anecdotal pieces. And, and my shows are very complicated, and they, they take quite a bit of time to produce. And they're probably too complicated for this type of thing. But, you know, I, I do believe they, they can frustrate an audience, you know, to make the assumption that people, they, they may dig your show, but they may simply not remember to check back on Monday. That's assuming I could even deliver an episode on Monday, which I probably couldn't. So I think it's frustrating to them. It's like, you know, whatever happened to that show? So I think probably the most comfortable way to watch this is sort of binge viewing, where, you know, all 12 segments are done. You can just click through them, one, two, three, four, you know, and get the whole experience. I mean, there is something fun about, gosh, I wonder what's going to happen next, and having that little bit of a delay, because it gives you a chance to sort of ponder it a little bit. But when it gets too long, I think you lose track of your audience and they kind of drift away. Because you kind of want to, you want to, you want to have that water cooler moment week to week, but you know, you don't want it to be too long in it in between. I mean, I really wish I could have delivered on a timely basis. I mean, now that they're all done, I am being more scheduled about getting them out on on YouTube and such. Uh, And I'm my own problem because I'm wearing so many hats and I just simply cannot keep up, you know, and that, you know, actually doing paying work. Uh, keep up with the pace of production. So, you know, I, I love this short story style. I, I think uh, few people have really done it really well, this, this uh, you know, 12, 5 to 8-minute episode thing and, and doing it in such a way that's really compelling and people don't feel annoyed that they're watching it mm-hmm. on their computer. Um, I, I don't know what the future of it is because I hate the idea of people watching this on a PDA, you know, sounding like a buzzing bee. Mm-hmm. You know, because we put all this work into this widescreen, these big images, and we put a huge amount of work into the sound system. And, you know, I'm glad people are watching it, but the idea of you're watching it on a three-inch screen, and it sounds like, you know, people holding their nose talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, gosh, you know, I'm busting my butt on these images, and, and, and you know, you, and, and you're watching a basketball game at the same time. <laughs> um, That's an excellent point. But, you know, everything has its purpose, and I think, you know, in retrospect for, for companies like YouTube and such, I guess if you could binge, you know, it gives them 12 opportunities for you to have to click through an ad. But I have to tell you, it's a painful way to make money. Mm-hmm. You know, it might work for Freddie Wong, who's pulling in, I don't know what he's getting, two, three, four million views a month. I mean, that puts him in business. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not getting anywhere near that, so I'm not in business. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to think that the model could be what television used to be in the 50s and 60s, where Malice the Web Series brought to you by the makers of goth clothing or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And and that they would, you know, get behind the show and, and maybe it would be hosted, you know, maybe you'd go to gothclothing.com and it would be, for the first run, it'd be a destination site. And, you you know, while you're buying all the cool clothing, you could click on the latest episode of Malice. Mm-hmm. And maybe these guys might be able to put up money 
the trick is, you know, well, you could have said this in any advertising. It's like, well, okay, great. You guys gave us whatever you gave us, $10,000 or something. even gave you $10,000. And I'll be quite frank, $10,000 isn't going to make a huge difference in my life. You know, A, it takes some of the burden off of production, but again, I'm not paying my electrical bill with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, does it get them, I mean, what, what does that need to get them? You know, 10 million views? You know, how much X merchandise so they have to move to justify the fact that they gave this guy $10,000 to, you know, make a web series. So it's difficult to come up with that sort of data. You know, we can do that with cold cast and we say, yeah, we got four and a half million views and blah, 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 blah. What does that mean? How does that, how's that quantified? Because you're not going to make money by clicks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to justify your budget by clicks. So either you're going to get a benefactor who's <laughs> supporting the arts or you're going to get a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to have to be one or the other. And, um, you know, I think it does work. There was a web series. I can't think of the name of it, but uh, Symantec uh, hosted a web series. It was produced by one of the CSI Miami producers. Oh, you're Cybergiddon. I, I saw the pilot. It was beautifully produced. It looked like a real TV show. Mm-hmm. But, and, I, and it did success. It was one of these real soft product placement things where it didn't say brought to you by Cybertech or you weren't seeing Cybertech products in the show. But it did create this pervasive sense of dread that your computer was vulnerable. <laughs> and I better make sure that my virus protection is upgraded because at the end of it, it's like click to upgrade your virus protection. And I wouldn't be surprised anybody who watched that show didn't eventually spend the 20 bucks or whatever it cost to, to upgrade their virus software just because <laughs> that's what it was about. Yeah, Nothing feels quite like fear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fear sex. Yeah, right, right. Fear and sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my God, that's that, that's going to be the theme of my next show. Fear and sex. <laughs> See, I'm on the for that one. Yeah. Malice <laughs> uh, season three and four, we would it would definitely be a much more. Um, it would definitely start to explore some sexual themes because you know, well, I like that one better than Hope Kills. Oh, yeah. Well, we definitely would, because Alex is a young woman, and these are some issues that she's kind of put on hold, you know, yeah. and now that she's coming through all this really intense teen stuff, dealing with her family and, and the fallout of this adventure. But uh, So it definitely would get thematically into some darker stuff. I'm sorry, I'm straying all over the place. But uh, I, I think just in the future, I've got to wonder if it's going to be sponsorship. But, you know, the, the other thing that worries me about that is when it becomes sponsorship, you know, it's probably going to have to be brokered by an agency. An agency is going to take a cut of the, the pie. And therefore, when you get into those kinds of dollars, who are they going to go to? They're not going to go to me. They're going to go to Hollywood. They're going to go to Hollywood because it's a comfort level. And they're going to go to all those out-of-work TV directors, and they're going to start going to all those unemployed actors, and they're going to go to that machine. And they're going to shut out independent people like us. As soon as there's truly money in this game, I think they're going to blow us all out of the water. And it sounds kind of depressing, but I think that's... Well, that's pretty much the history of things. That's been the history of the medium, yeah. It is, yes. As soon as they detect a way to make money, then they're going to jump into it, and nobody's going to find these little backwater shops. Yeah, the sharks will circle once there's chum in the water. (laughs) Exactly right. You know, we're the pioneers with our axes, you know, hacking our way through a wilderness. Mm -hmm. And as soon as people go, they're in golden in their hills. They're going to lay down those rails, and they're going to roll those rails right over our bodies. That's true, yeah. do, do a land grab. It's, I, it sounds pessimistic, but mm-hmm. it, uh. um, now, are there any projects that each of you are working on now? Uh, you know, after Malice, that you would like to mention? Uh, personally, <laughs> not working on anything. <laughs> Just 
a sort of independent, you know, gathering um, uh, film courage, I guess. <laughs> Got myself a camera and working on some screenplays of personal value, but I don't, it's not it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So <laughs> you never know. But um, for now, I um, I'm I'm hopeful for the next season of Malice myself because Bill and I have been kicking ideas around for the uh, the storyline. But uh, I, I did just rap on a film called Singularity, which is a, a sci-fi, somewhat futuristic sci-fi thriller that uh, it's in the vein of Terminator and Aliens. But once you get, there's a lot of posts. I'm not sure when it'll be. Maybe in the summer or the fall. But it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a high energy film, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of our work in that one too. So uh, you know, look out for that one, Singularity. I'll, uh, I'll certainly update you guys when there's more information to come come out about it. Yeah, please do. Yeah. How about you, Phil? Is yeah. it all just malice right now, or is there any other projects well, that you're thinking about? No, I've got, I've got a trash can filled with ideas. I have uh, two or three web series that I'm considering exploring. Uh, it's a question of uh, do I cultivate this hard-won audience that we have? Because some, some of the subject material I have is a little more intense and a little more violent than this, and, and I'm toying around because – Apparently, the golden audience is the teen gaming audience. That seems to be, you know, things that are successful. And I, I think to some extent we can, we, you know, Malice gathers a piece of that. But I'm wondering, you know, there's this project that I'd written as a feature called Chomper, which is a pretty brutal, tough sci-fi revenge story. And, you know, Myopic. Yeah, whether or not uh, that could be developed into a web series, but I'd love to get a sponsor for that. And it would be it would be pretty tough. It would be extremely intense. So I've I've got I'll be quite frank. I've got three other concepts in various stages of development. It's really I'm at this point right now. Literally the dust settled on this show. Not even what two weeks ago, Mark. I can't even remember when when it was. Yeah, yeah. And so now I'm clearing up. You know, I'm clearing out the sets. I'm I'm archiving the media. I'm going now. What? And um, you know, we're going to try to cut malice into a feature and release it on DVD and, and see if we can get it on Netflix and such. I have some potential contacts there. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm of the schizophrenic mind. You know, I'm an artist. Yes, I love that. But then I'm also a business person. Mm-hmm. And the business part of me stands back and goes, you're out of your freaking mind. Yeah. This is not a business. <laughs> this makes zero financial sense. The, the accountant and the businessman is telling me, what the hell are you doing? Walk away from this now. The creative person goes, no, man, we're, we're carving a new path. We're creating a new medium. We're, we, you know, we built an audience from nothing. We're, we're actually doing things that very few people have done. We've had a fair amount of success. We survived. We're through it. The show looks great. It's getting good reviews. So, but I cannot divorce one from the other. It, it can't just be a self-indulged exercise. And the simple reality is, I've got, again, I've got to pay my bills. And this show is not going to do that. I, I can only... Be charitable when business is doing great. Yeah. What I do for a living, and you know, this year is a tough year. This economy is a tough economy, mm-hmm. and the luxury of saying, "Oh no, man, take three months off, spend another twelve thousand dollars, shoot another season mm-hmm. of Malice." I, quite frankly, I can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of web series creators face that issue. Yeah, um, yeah, we've all run up against that. Now, where can our audience and our listeners find Malice online? Malice right now. They can watch all 12 episodes, including the special on Coldcast TV. Uh, by mid-March, they'll be able to watch all 12 episodes on Blip and all 12 episodes on YouTube. So if they want to wait, everything's going to be you know, on playlists on, on YouTube 
probably by March 6th. Right now, I think on YouTube we have, I think we're up to eight, I believe, is up there. So um, that's where they can see it. Okay. And hopefully other places. I don't really know yet. Great. And then there's going to be a feature. And then there's going to be a documentary. They're making it. <laughs> <laughs> then there's like going to be a 3D version. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Thank uh, you. We really appreciate you taking the time and talking with us. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. You guys are a lot of fun. Oh, yes, definitely. I enjoyed it very much. So there you go. A normal evening. Except the norm isn't the norm in my family. Hi, I'm Ben Bays, executive producer of Aiden 5, the web series, and you're listening to Genre Tainment. Thank you to Phil, Mark, and Rebecca for agreeing to chat with us, and we wish them luck with Malice and any future projects. So that's it for today's Genre Tainment. Check back next week with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Including director Charles Wilkinson, who besides directing Highlander the series and many other excellent projects, has also written the book The Working Director, How to Arrive, Survive, and Thrive in the Director's Chair. Also coming up is our fun interview with Jerry Kokich, one of the stars of the action comedy web series Adventures of Super 7. Don't forget, you can check out all of our past episodes and archives at scifipulseradio.com. You can also check out the other great shows on this channel like SFP Now, The Roundtable, and Jeff Trek. Genretainment will be back right here on this channel at scifipulseradio.com next week. Thanks to everyone for listening. Until, Until next, next time. time.